It's a privilege to be led to the throne by my sons, not one that I take lightly and uh, am grateful for. Over the next few weeks, as my daughter Rebecca comes closer to delivering twins, hallelujah, praise God, uh, you'll see more of myself and Blaze, and we look forward to, to sharing God's Word with you and spending time in His presence. Today we continue on the trend of the Psalm of Ascents, and you can see the road up to the city of Jerusalem. See it right there? I've had the privilege of taking that road by bus. This is not a photo. This is actually a portrait of what Jerusalem likely looked like uh, in biblical times, certainly not today. If you Google Jerusalem and look at pictures today, it's very, very different. But it's on that road where the psalms that, that we've been teaching on would have been sung. And you can imagine a, a winding, seemingly never-ending line of people uh, coming into the city during Passover as they come from the region surrounding Jerusalem to worship at the temple as the law dictated in those times. Remember the verse in the psalm that Caleb preached a couple of Sundays ago, I lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who's seated above heaven and earth. Today, Jerusalem still figures centrally in global events, as we all know, if you listen and watch the news at all. And uh, will always, I think, be a centerpiece on this planet in history and in the future, as we'll see. If you turn your Bibles to Psalm 125, the last song that we sang, well, all the songs really, but in particular, the last song was particularly fitting, as you'll see. We can read together. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. We can summarize those verses with the following. God promises to be a refuge and protection for his people. Though evil has been accorded by God's sovereign will, temporary rule in this present age of our earthly existence, it will not ultimately rule in the lives of his people. We enter into God's protective custody when we learn to trust him in all things and surrender our will to his leading. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word. Father, there's so much in, 
in these five little verses, which seem like, uh, could be, throw pillow verses. And in fact, uh, Googling this verse and looking at all the image, it seems that that's what many have done. But in these five verses, we find the weight of the gospel and of scripture. And they are substantial. They are full of promise and warning and guidance and direction. Holy Spirit, I pray for each person in this room this morning. Father, you look down upon us when one little tiny speck on the map, one of many churches in this town, one of many towns in this state, which is one of many in this nation, which is just one of many globally. And yet, Father, you look down through seven billion people and you know each of us by name. Father God, Scripture tells us that you count the hairs on our head. You store our tears in a bottle. You know us intimately. And for those of us who have had a revelation of your loving kindness and your compassion, Father, we have the special privilege of hearing your voice. Father, it could be that this morning there are those in this room who are here today for reasons they really don't understand. Maybe a friend invited them. Maybe they were drawn here for some reason or another. And maybe they have not yet had the privilege of hearing your voice. Father, I pray that this morning they would. And I pray that all of us would respond to that voice, oh God, regardless of our status this morning. So we invite you to do the work in our hearts that only you can do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. And uh, we're going to unpack this psalm just a little bit. It comes from not the time of David, actually, but several hundred years later from the time of Ezra. You might recognize Ezra as being one of the book of the minor prophets in the Bible. Ezra lived... Um, between 455 and 555 B.C., he was responsible for bringing a group of exiles back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And these would have been men and women whose hearts yearned to go home. Now, if you study Jewish history, you probably recall that after David was established as king, he passed the rule on to his own son Solomon. And from there, things just really spiraled down uh, out of, out of hand. Uh, eventually the kingdom split uh, because of civil war. Uh, we see that while there were some good kings, good meaning godly kings, that there were uh, a greater number of evil wicked kings that led the people astray. And as a result of, of, his, of peop, God's people's disobedience and, and, and ongoing rebellion and, and just lack of following uh, the prescribed law and, and the way that it was dictated and the way that God desired so he could enter into a relationship, uh, the people just kept down this path and, and finally uh, they were taken, taken into captivity. Israel was overrun, Jerusalem was seized and taken, the temple burned to the ground. 
And that happened uh, at a time when, when, when there was just seemed to be no hope left. And so this, this group of, of, of Jews who were in captivity in Babylon under the leadership of Ezra went back to Jerusalem, and they encountered ruins. They encountered the, the destroyed temple. If you can imagine um, growing up in all your whole life and being in a place and and, uh, and, and, and invaders come in, take you away, take you a land that you don't know, and, and maybe your children or grandchildren years later go back and, and find a, a place that's just destroyed. Just, it's how do you get your mind around that? Well, that's what these people were faced with, and, and that's where this psalm came from. A sinful people taken away into captivity because of their unfaithfulness and disobedience to the Lord. Yet... For the remnant who remained true to Yahweh, there was hope. So let's unpack this just a little bit. Verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. So I had to do a little reading. Mount Zion, if we think about Zion, you like that's probably some mountain in, in Israel somewhere, probably in, in, in Jerusalem. And, and you would be right. It is, of course. It's pretty obvious. But what what I've learned is that actually Mount Zion uh, changed actually locations. It was originally conquered by David, the site of an ancient Jebusite fortress that he called the City of David. Later, the name Mount Zion was shifted to the Temple Mount, so where the large square edifice, that's the temple, that, that would have been called Mount Zion uh, later in, in history, probably around the time of Christ. Today, Mount Zion is considered to be the western hill in Jerusalem, but it's always referred to the place where God's people were established. That's Mount Zion. So if you say to the Hebrews, Mount Zion, they think that's where, that's where God has established his people. That, that's where we reside. That's where we dwell. Now, if you're thinking here going, but Mark, I live in Jamestown, North Dakota. That really doesn't apply to me. Yeah, but it kind of does because in the New Testament, we read this. Hebrews chapter 12. But you, that's us, that's we, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. Now catch this. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's us, for those of us who have trusted Christ. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Revelation 14.1 states, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood a lamb, and with him uh, the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Given the biblical significance of Mount Zion when used figuratively, figuratively for our encouragement to trust the Lord, it gives reassurance that the Lord is both worthy and deserving of our trust. And that we also, when our trust is rooted and established in the Lord, cannot be moved, uh, and we will abide with the Lord forever. Jesus affirms this in John 15. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, and most of the scripture is in the discussion guide, so if you want to take notes, you can. You can also find it in the discussion guide on the table in the back. In, in John 15, uh, Jesus states, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and be will, be, will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Likewise, in John 27, 31, Jesus tells us, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Now, I'm a teacher by trade, so there's probably going to be some Q&A. And I've learned over time that, that Q&A helps do a couple of things. It kind of keeps everybody awake. Otherwise, you tend to be kind of lulled to sleep by the dull monotony of the same voice over and over again for 30 minutes. So there'll probably be a little Q&A just to kind of keep, keep you with me here. We sang a song a few minutes ago that I thought Philip did a great um, introduction on. And, and you did a great job responding, this is how I fight my battles, right? So, so qu question, where are those battles fought? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true, in our minds and our heart. Um, but when, I mean, I a better way to ask it, when are the, I mean, are those battles fought on Sunday morning when we could come to church and sing a song like that? Yeah, they're all throughout the week. That's when the battles are fought. So, so this verse, we, we, we can't just take this like, oh, that's nice, I'm in church on Sunday morning. No, this is for tomorrow morning and, and Tuesday morning and Wednesday and so on. Wherever we fight a battle, whatever that looks like, we have to remember that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Philip, where are you? Sing that. It may look like I'm surrounded. How many of you have ever felt like, snap, I am surrounded? And, and, it, and we feel overwhelmed, and we feel like the darkness is just pressing in, and I've made so many mistakes, or there's been so much that, that really I had no control over that just happened to me, and I don't understand it, and I've made decisions that have taken me to deep, dark places, and as a result of that, I'm surrounded. 
Well, let's look at what God's word says about those who've trusted him when we feel surrounded. First of all, uh, it's important to understand that Mount Zion and, and Jerusalem is on a, a set of hills, but these hills geographically are actually lower in altitude than all the mountains in the surrounding region, which is why that particular city was very difficult. It took the, it took the, the might of Rome, all of the Roman legion, three years, and they had to build a, a wall all the way around the, the valleys around the city so that, that people couldn't get out to lay siege to Jerusalem. You can imagine that. The, the main army of the day took them three years to take this city when normally they just go in and, and mow people over. That's how heavily guarded it is. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. All of us probably have um, the image uh, in our minds from, from either the Da Vinci painting or perhaps watching Passion of the Christ or, or some other movie, but we probably have some mental image of the Last Supper and, and, and Jesus, and of course we commemorate it frequently, and, and Jesus breaking the bread and, and then talking about the bread and the wine. But what we don't often associate with that is there's a tremendous amount of teaching that actually took place. Because that was like, that was his last night, right? And I mean, they're, they're getting ready to go out and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and Jesus is, is like, okay, I've been with you three years. You've got to get this, guys. We're, we're, we, have, we have no time. So this is it. Failure is not an option, so here it is. And, and in that context, he, he, he teaches them and then he prays over them. And in his prayer, he says this. And he's talking to God. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. There it is again, sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be us coming down through history as from one generation to the next, God word, God's word of truth has been passed on so that we have the great privilege of believing that they, we, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If you call Buffalo City Church home, you need to know that Caleb and I and the elders, as God continues to raise up these men, are committed to us living as one. We are members of one another. We don't have the option of choice to bow out of that. That is something that God has designed for his church. Now, we're, we're learning how to do that. It's an ongoing thing. But, but our hope is that through the transparency and commitment of relationship that we collectively 
become members of each other in such a way that, that the community around us sees the great love that we have for each other and goes, I want that. That's attractive. The world doesn't need more religion. What the world needs is an encounter with the Holy One of Israel who resides within our hearts. And He's manifest as we share that one another. So here's another question. Where does that begin? Oh, don't look at me with blank looks in your eyes. And we preach this all the time. Where does it begin? That learning to live together. One might think that, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a good answer, and I think the answer is accurate. It has to begin with the local church, but where? Where, do, where does it begin? The local church is given. We're part of the church. Where does it flesh out first and foremost? Hmm? And where are you most of the time when you're not at work? You're home. So, so I encourage you, men in particular, because like it or not, we're called to lead in this. So, so man up and be the spiritual leader in your home. I encourage us to take a, a long, hard look at what transpires during waking moments in our homes. Are those moments, by and large, God-glorifying? Or are they self-elevating? What are our pursuits? What does that look like? And I'm, I've gone to meddling now, so I'm going to stop and continue. Okay, so uh, let's go on. The author of Hebrews, who we're not really sure what that is, uh, nonetheless, we, we recognize as that book is one of the Gospels, writes this in chapter 5. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The promise of this verse brings reassurance that no matter what the circumstances, the Lord is ultimately in control of them. And we have to defer to Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, probably a familiar verse where King Solomon directs us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Probably most of us uh, have heard of Job. Oh, he's the dude that suffered a whole lot. Yeah, an incredible book. And, and there's one little verse in chapter 14, and it's just kind of in passing. He's going through this long dialogue. And right there's a little statement that says, even if he kills me, I'm still going to trust him. I think that has to be our attitude, that our trust is just whatever it is, God, I'm going to trust you. I love to watch, um, and I experience this with my sons and daughters, and maybe you have some of you, I love to watch Caleb just say, okay, jump, and just jump, kids just jump. And, and knowing that if he doesn't catch them, they're probably going to fall and hurt themselves, that they don't hesitate, they just go, because they trust their daddy, and they know he loves them, and they know he's not going to drop them. I think that's how our trust needs to be with the Father. 
Now we're going to press into a little more substance here in verse 3. It says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Imagine the plight of the Israelites in the day of Ezra. Now catch this. They were under the foreign rule of a pagan king in a land which observed pagan practices. Those who returned to Jerusalem were aware of this and lamented the loss of the promised land while looking forward to the advent of Messiah, Christ. They were aware of the tragic timeline of wicked Israelite kings who committed great evil in the sight of the Lord and led God's people astray. But they were equally aware of the words of the prophet Isaiah from several hundred years before. Catch this. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, that's one of the tribes of Israel, and the land of Naphtali, one of the tribes of Israel. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you is with the joy at harvest and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot rather, of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and his, over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We live in a world where it is impossible to live unscathed, unaffected by the scepter. A scepter represents rule or dominion. We live in a world where it's impossible to live untouched by wickedness in this, in this present darkness in which we, we dwell. Which is why in Ephesians 6, Paul writes the following words to believers. Finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, there it is. Against the authorities, there it is. Scepter of wickedness. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Folks, Paul is calling a spade a spade. He's saying, guys, you live in a war zone. This isn't just like land of the free, home of the brave. We, we live our waking hours in a war zone. It's a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. But we choose to ignore it at our own peril. And it's really dangerous in America, this to saying, because we're so material-oriented. Our, our whole culture is driven that way. What we can see, what we can logic, what we can explain, what, what our knowledge can help us develop and, and whatnot. And we have all this right in front of us. And, and so there's a great temptation to take all 
that is scripture says real because he says everything you can see that's visible, all this stuff is temporal, it's going to pass away. What, what, is, what is eternal, what is unshakable, what will last forever is all that stuff you can't see. But what we do so many times is we take that we can't see and we set it aside and we ignore it like, and don't even pay attention to it until we're in the throes of something. And then we go, maybe there's something going on here. You think? Yeah, Absolutely. And we as a church have no excuse because we're, we're warned and we're told. So he says, take up the whole armor of God. Did you know you have armor? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. 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 How many times during the week are we tempted to tell a little white lie or bend or manipulate what we say to make us either look different or paint a circumstance in a different way so that it's beneficial to us? And we don't even think about it. It's just how we live. Truth means that we live in the black and white of what is accurate and what is true. Having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. That means we spend time in the word. In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, Alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pastor Mark, that's a little scary. Well, yeah, but check this in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, that would be Jesus, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not with him graciously also give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, Paul writes, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So from time to time, folks, we will encounter the scepter of wickedness. It's unavoidable. But our Heavenly Father's promise that it will not rest upon us. God deals with wickedness in its perfect timing, even when his timing involves physical death, which it does. I mean, a prime example are, are saints martyred throughout history, just because they've called on the name of Jesus as Savior. But we've yet to experience that in this nation. Uh, by the grace of God, Lord willing, hopefully we never will, but 
If we were, would you be sitting here this morning? Would you be in a basement somewhere literally risking your life that police could barge in, take you and your family to prison, and put you to death? Paul says that actually is better. He said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I hold that as a greater reward. Reassurance from the Father that no matter what we're undergoing, no matter how we encounter evil, how we encounter wickedness, it is temporary and deliverance will come to those who trust in the Lord. We go even deeper with verse 4. It says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in, in their hearts. I was sharing on Friday afternoon with someone, just talking a little bit about uh, some of the things of God and some of the struggles he was going through. And I said, you know, it's interesting to me, if I engage in conversation with someone who I don't know, maybe someone on the street, um, and, 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 and the circumstance is such that maybe we begin to talk about spiritual things, and typically what I hear is, you know, I'm a good person. You know, I, I mean, I, I try to do good by people and do the right thing, and, you know, and I'm, I'm basically good. That statement in of itself is, is proof to me that that person does not know Christ. Because the truth is, nothing in me is good. And I can tell you as someone who's been following Christ since he was seven years old, the only good thing that is in me is what's placed me by God. And even Jesus, when a man approached him, said, Teacher, we know that you are good. And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? There's no one good but God. I think he was making a point that the source of goodness is God. We are all fallen. So it's important to understand that this thing about understanding our position, our relationship with God based on our trust in the gospel and in Christ is really, really important. I want to explore that just a little bit. So, so let's break into it with Psalm 1. Short little psalm right at the beginning. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. How many of you delight in a really good football game? Okay? How many of you delight that much when you have the opportunity to sit down and read Scripture? That's a rhetorical question. No one has to raise their hands. I'm just making the point, right? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. That's he whose delight is in the law of the Lord. The wicked are not so, but like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Scripture makes a clear distinction between two kinds of individuals, those who pursue God, who love his word and his ways, and those who hate God, who ignore his word and shun his ways. In Proverbs 4, we find the following admonition. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on to it. Turn away and pat, turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble, for 
for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. In Psalm 119, David cries, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. I delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And if some of you men a few minutes ago when I admonished you to be the leaders in your home ran through in your mind the question, well, I don't, Mar, what does that even look like? Do I pray at meals? No, no, no. This is what it looks like. You become a man who seeks after God with your whole heart and pursues his word and hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And if you do that and you follow him, guess what? He'll make your house what it needs to be. I'm 56, been married for 34 years, have six children. Two of them led worship up here. They're all involved in ministry in one way or another. I didn't do that. Guys, all I did is I've done my best to be a faithful Christ follower my whole life. And does it always work? No, because we all have free will. But, but I am convinced that one of the reasons why my sons can stand up and lead worship and my son-in-law can bring the word every Sunday is because my wife and I have tried to pattern our lives around this, this precept of seeking the Lord and holding his word as the thing that's of highest value. In short, those who are upright in heart delight in his word. They love and observe God's ways and pursue holiness. They choose to walk in light instead of darkness. In John chapter 3, excuse me, we see a great example of this in a discussion Jesus has with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Jesus ends the discussion by telling Nicodemus this. And Nicodemus was like a teacher, right? He's supposed to be the one that educates the Israelites. And he's going to Jesus saying, how do I have eternal life? How do I, how do I be born? I just don't get this. Born again? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes on him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to come in order that the world might be saved. Through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And here it is. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, remember, belt of truth, comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. One of the things we do with those who desire to come to membership with Buffalo City Church is we make sure they understand the gospel. And I've had conversations where I've asked the, the question, what does the gospel mean? I actually get that verse quoted, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, etc., 
that, that's, 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 this, that's a tiny piece. It's an essential piece for us, but it's not the gospel. It's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is there is a creator, a holy God, who is good and just and perfect and pure in all of his ways, who created us, and we chose to sin. That sin put us in a state of rebellion and disobedience and separated us for eternity from a God that is holy and just. Now, he knew that we, there's no way we could come back into relationship. We're lost, hopelessly. So he did what we couldn't do. He took the form of human flesh, and he paid for our, our rebellion. The Bible says that we were objects of God's wrath unless we trust in Christ and trust at what he did on the cross and trust that he took upon himself the punishment rightfully due us for our sin. Therefore, through him, we have the great privilege of entering into eternal life. But guys, the end game is not about us in eternal life. The end game is about giving God glory because God receives glory for that. So if someone asks you, so tell me what the gospel is about. It's about God bringing himself glory by redeeming a fallen and lost mankind. And praise God, I get to be part of that because I've trusted in Christ and I believe. But make no mistake, it's all about God. It's all about the Father. That'd be a good place for an amen. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So finally, verse 5, and we're almost done. Thanks for sticking with me this morning. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Wow. That's pretty harsh, Pastor Mark. I mean, I thought God loved us. Does he really do that? <laughs> It's important to understand the nature of evil and how it impacts our lives. In Matthew, we read of Jesus telling this parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. There's that scepter of wickedness again. An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, well, then do you want us to go gather all the weeds? And he said, no, no, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. So many times people who are trying to make a sense out of life and out of the circumstance, out of the world, you know, come up with this. How can a loving God, you know, supposed to love everybody, let all this kind of stuff happen? It's Honestly, it's because of love that he does let the stuff happen. Because he loves us so much that he's willing to wait for a time and a season where he finally says, it is done. And at that point, guess what? That's the day of reckoning. And, and, and the wheat and the weeds will all be gathered and will be separated. For those who are good and upright in heart, a.k.a. who follow Christ and obey his word. We must adopt the posture that turning aside to crooked ways is not an option. Because you read that verse, 
But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, and you're right, Caleb, I love this screen down here. But to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Guys, that is not an option for the follower of Christ. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen because it does, unfortunately. I mean, it can happen to any of us, but it shouldn't be an option. In today's culture, the pull is relentless. The effect of godlessness, godlessness in our society is overwhelming. When Christianity is mentioned in the media, it's usually mocked or scorned. Seldom, legit, do we see Christ exalted or his ways extolled in media. I mean, unless it's a Facebook post by a pastor, <laughs> seriously, or, or someone who just loves Jesus. But we don't, we don't, what we do on Sunday morning, you don't see that on TV. That's not on the internet, unless you go there specifically for it. No, what we find is pornography, a perverted blur of gender, the exaltation of self, the pursuit of wealth and pleasure, all these things touted as virtuous signs of enlightenment. That's what we're preached. That's what our, that's what our culture believes. And, 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 and don't misinterpret and think that that doesn't have an incredible pull on us. This is the field in which we live, the place where the Spirit of God, as, as Stephen mentioned a minute ago, strives with the spirit of darkness in the very depths of our souls and our hearts. And Now catch this. This is huge, and this is fresh because the Lord just gave to me this morning. In this moral climate that looks so bad, it's easy to justify sinful behavior that we believe isn't nearly as severe as what takes place in the world around us. I'm going to say that again. Well, I can do that because that's not nearly as bad as this, and you've got to overlook that. Folks, sin is sin. It doesn't matter how little or how big it is, it's sin. And, and we cannot adopt the attitude that, well, God will just overlook this. No, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something in your life that you know you need to deal with and either stop doing or begin to do, you better be obedient to that because he wants your good. And what, what, what we don't understand sometimes is that when, when we're prompted that way by the Holy Spirit of God is because God wants to bless us with his presence and draw, in, draw us into deeper waters with him. And he wants us to lay aside childish, immature, sinful habits and ways. So please do not measure your righteousness by that of culture or, around you because you will always look great. You measure your righteousness by the standard that God's put in his word that is perfection. In fact, uh, Jesus wrote it. He said in Matthew 48, he says, You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The Amplified Bible says like this, You therefore must be perfect, growing into complete maturity of godliness and mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity. The Amplified Bible is always a little dangerous to read because there's always like twice as much information in each verse as in, in most Bibles. Um, but I love it. I love to read it. It's why in Romans 12, Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And someone in the back said it earlier, be transformed by renewing your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those who take these words to heart are promised Peace, peace be upon Israel. Um, how are you doing today, Dave? Great, thank you, Mark. 
See, there it is. Great. Thank you, Mark. In our culture, how are you doing? I'm fine. Now, we say that sometimes, whether we are or not, because that's just how we're trained, right? But hopefully, most of the time, when someone says hello, you can shake their hand. They're, how are you doing? They're fine. Um, Hi, sweetheart. How are you? Good. See? So, and, and that's what we encounter. That, that fine, that good, that state, all is well. And, and sometimes we live there. I'm just curious. How many of you in here right now are, are in kind of that state right now? All is well. Yeah, praise God. You know, and maybe there are more. There's like, I'm not raising my hand. So, and that's okay. But, but that state of just peace, that is, that's the Hebrew word shalom, peace. So Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Paul writes in Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surround his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. So these are the conclusions I drew from these verses. Trust in the Lord in all circumstances, and you'll be swayed by none. The Lord is devoted to guarding the ways of those who belong to him, even in death. Evil may reign for a season, but its ultimate defeat has been secured by the cross. Those who do good understand good and experience the goodness of God. Those who follow after evil will meet their end with evil. But peace reigns in the hearts of all who love God and pursue his ways. The book of Thessalonians with the Apostle Paul's pronouncement. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole, in, in your, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it.